This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. The very diet that is healthy for you and prevents the major diseases like cancer, heart disease and diabetes is the same diet that will reduce our carbon impact briefly and, and as easily as possible. We need to increase the amount of plant food in our diet. We have to reduce the amount of animal protein in our diet. Now I can imagine, most South Africans hear something like that and they're like, hey, she wants us to become a raving vegetarian. <laughs> um, and it's not necessary to make sure that you need to eat not more than one portion, which is the size of the palm of your hand, which is very little compared to what most South Africans eat. And so we need to be making sure that we're eating either eggs only once in the day, chicken only once in the day, fish once in the day, meat once in the day, but not all on the same day. And what is very important, and I stress this with people time and time again, is to always make sure that you're eating free-range chicken, free-range eggs, organic. Not only free-range, but I also find organic is important because sometimes they will let the animals roam free outside, but they will feed them food that is not um, conducive to human or animal health for that matter. The more plant food you eat in your diet, the more alkaline your intake of food, and that really just means that the more alkaline minerals are coming into your body. Alkaline minerals are calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. When we have a more or a predominantly alkaline forming diet, minerals stay in your bones. Yes. And that's what we want. We want to have healthy bones as we get older. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Uh, that is Marianne Shearer um, from a few years ago. <laughs> um, I will find out in a moment um, if she still agrees with that. It sounds pretty decent to me. Um, because of the nature of this conversation, folks uh, who are watching now, please don't um, throw around insults. I know that this, this kind of conversation always leads to that. I'm not going to read out any insults or unhelpful um, comments. And on that note, let me welcome Mary Ann Shearer, naturalway.cz.a. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me, Mary Ann. It's a pleasure, Jim. Um, and yeah, it's great to be here. And yes, as far as that, they really went and dug out the archives there. I mean, that's a long time ago. Um, yeah, I still have the same approach. I'm not a radical fundamentalist vegan at mm. all. Uh, I come from a typical South African family. Uh, I grew up eating lamb chops from the braai. My husband helped open the first KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he, as far as he's concerned, chicken was a vegetable. He only ate steak and burgers. So it's not like this is some way I was raised. Mm. You know, mm. this is something we kind of morphed into because of our health health issues. Actually, that was the main reason. We'll get yeah. into that in a second. We'll get into all of that in a second. But I, I'm, I'm quite curious. I mean, have you taken a lot of bullets over the years? Um, uh, for some strange reason, um, being a vegan gets a lot of flack. It, it does. And, and, and people just assume that you're a certain type of person. Like you're either a radical fundamentalist or you're an extreme environmentalist or you, you're just an extreme person. And... I actually hate the word vegan because it implies that type of approach. And it, mm. or it, I mean, I've had people say to me, don't you eat meat for religious reasons? I'm like, do you eat meat for religious reasons? I mean, mm. why is it going to have some religion, religious connotation to it? So, yeah, I have. I, I actually prefer saying that I follow a whole food, whole food plant-based diet because 
you get vegans and vegans. I mean, you get vegans that live on Coke and white bread and they're sick and mm. in a disgusting place. So just being vegan doesn't make you healthy. And that's why I prefer saying whole food plant-based diet because it really should be about your health. It's all very well to be passionate about animals and the environment. But you've got to be smart if you're going to mm. do something like this. Either way, you've got to, you know, whether you're a meat eater or you're a vegan or a vegetarian or pescatarian, you've got to eat a healthy whole food diet. Mm. Otherwise, you're really off to a bad start just without even having a philosophy. Okay, well, let's just quickly do a, a, a very non-boring bio. Um, <laughs> you uh, promote a... A sort of plant-based diet you've got uh, you had two restaurants one of them closed down during lockdown uh, and uh, you've got a bunch of books and DVDs and recipes and that kind of thing if, if is that sort of the summary yes it is but we also have a very big education component we also have a school where we feed the kids a plant-based school from grade from age 3 to grade to age 18 um, and then we have online two Three, we have got about eight online courses that we do. We've got like a 30-day detox, 100 days to health. We've got a vegan 101. Mm. We've got a – we're using that V word. I hate it. And then we've got two online nutrition courses where you're actually qualified to be a nutritional consultant and actually help people. But it's science-based. I mean, I don't – none of this stuff is esoteric or mm. based on crystals or anything like that. It's all science-based. I mean, I'm – an educational, I'm the only Educational Alliance partner with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C., and I trained with them. And that is completely science-based. I mean, they've been around since 1984, 1985. And since then, it's a large body of doctors and researchers and scientists who've been gathering research over the years, showing what actually results in health. And in 2009, they sued the United States government just out of interest, they sued the United States government. And in 2013, they won. And they sued them on the basis that for since 1985, they've been sending the government the research showing what is needed to avoid cancer, heart disease, diabetes, the three biggest killers in the world and in westernized world. And uh, the government did nothing about it. And they said, you've got all the research. In those days, they had a room full of files. These days, it would be files on their computers. Mm. But it, all the research was there. All the documentation was there. They did nothing. So they sued them for basic irresponsibility towards the American citizens. And they got, for the first time in the history of the whole food group theory, it was completely and radically changed to the power plate, which means basically three quarters of your plate should be of your food that you take in on a daily basis, or well, more than three quarters because the fourth quarter is protein and mm. at least half of that should be legumes. So you're looking at about 80, 90% of your diet should be plant-based if you want to avoid those diseases. However, if you don't want to avoid them, well, then you just carry on doing what you're doing. I mean, it's just, we've got to base it on science. You can't base it on your own personal experience. I can tell you my experience. I can mm. tell you that, you know, it's the best thing to avoid body odor and menstrual periods and um, painful menstrual periods and cellulite and high blood pressure. And I can mm. rattle off all of this stuff from personal experience, but what does the science say? And we're talking about independent research. We're not talking about science funded by the dairy industry yes, or the yeah, meat industry, yeah. which is what you do get. Well, yeah. I mean, look, anything anything that that can that can make my periods less painful, I'm happy to to. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, they do affect you if you're a husband, okay. <laughs> um, but before we talk about um, any any of the science stuff, I'd love to know your story. Uh, you said you. You said you you ate meat growing up. I'd I'd love to know how yeah. what, like what changed. Like tell me about your story. 
Well, my grandfather was a sheep farmer in the Karoo. I never met him because he died when my mother was nine years old, so I wasn't even a thought at that point in time. But my father was a farmer as well, and um, he farmed things like cotton and spent some time, and apples, Elgin here and then in Zimbabwe. Um, and that's actually where I was born. I'm a South African, but I was born there. I left when I was three years old. Um, so I grew up in a typical South African family. You know, we had um, a brian. We'd have about the only vegetables there would be you know, putu, which we called sadza, having had that ex time that we spent in Zimbabwe. Um, and boy, I could eat, my best meat to eat was chops and all the fat on the chops. I would go around eating all the fat off people's plates that had left it there. I love meat. I love pork. I love the crackling on the pork. I could eat a whole chicken when my husband and I got married. Between the two of us, just the two of us, we'd eat an entire mm. chicken. We, I would make bolognese, mince, and we would eat between the two of us like half a kilogram of meat. So we were big meat eaters, um, but we, I was quite health conscious. My mother had raised us not to read comic books because she said you would fry your brain reading them. Needless to say, we read comic books every time we went to our friends' houses. We weren't allowed to chew gum because she said that made your, mm. your brain turn into slush. We chewed gum at our friends' houses. So whatever, this, you know. So we had these these things. And so we ate – my mom's – had quite, I mean, I remember my mother getting a box of tomatoes from somebody somewhere when I was a kid and I was sitting on the back step of the kitchen just eating the tomatoes straight out of the box. So we like, we grew up liking fruit and vegetables, but it certainly weren't even close to being vegetarian or vegan on any level. Um, and then I grew up, as I say, you know, started my periods when I was going into high school, had all the painful periods and the cramps and the heavy bleeding. And it's a terrible, messy thing to talk about it, but it's a reality. So for me, menstruating was like all girls that we grew up saying it was a curse, you were in pain. I had friends that would faint, they'd literally faint from the pain in the corridors at school. And most girls spent their first two days of their period in the sick bay or at home. It was just what it was like, you accepted it. And so, yeah, I uh, grew up, I ended up having, um, I come from a family where there's a lot of asthma and allergies and stuff like that, which developed later on. But I was diagnosed as being bipolar when I was um, in my mid-early 20s. I had my first child at the time. And, you know, I was kind of living on Smarties and whatever else we made for supper. I was a sugar junkie and I loved animal products. I loved meat. I loved cheese. I could not go by a day without eating cheese. Um you know, I would have a pizza with five cheeses on. There wasn't just one cheese. I'd have the five cheese pizza. Mm. I couldn't walk past the cheese department in the grocery store. In fact, my favorite meals was apples with cheese. Anything with cheese, actually. Only way I'd eat cauliflower and broccoli was with cheese. So uh, my husband grew up sort of pretty much the same. He grew up in Natal. He grew up the same, mm. pretty much a meat eater. Um, and we got married. It was 1977, 1st of January. It's a long time we've been married, probably before you were even born. <laughs> and, um, we, we, you know, we ate just normal South African food, but with a health spin on it. And it got to a point where we had three kids and the one had ear infections and the other one tonsillitis and the other one's allergic rhinitis. And my husband, Mark, had high blood pressure. He had high blood pressure from the age of 19 when he went to do his military service. They said he was uninsurable because his blood pressure was 160 over 110. He wasn't overweight. And he, both sets of parents and grandparents all had high blood pressure. There. Mm. And in those days, the insurance companies could decline to insure you. So if he'd got killed doing his military service, his mother would have got nothing. We got married and we went to the doctor because he had this high blood pressure thing. And I'd been raised to read the insert of the package. If you're on any medication or you're taking anything, read the insert. 
my mother had taught me that. So um, he got prescribed um, blood pressure medication. I said, well, before we take it, we've got to read the insert. So the doctor actually had the insert in, in his rooms there, and he gave it to my husband to read. So he goes down, the, and it's like side effects of taking blood pressure medication are um, uh, diabetes, um, high, um, high blood, you get the high blood pressure, then you get diabetes and then an enlarged heart. So there were all these side effects. He ignored that completely. He got to the path that it said erectile dysfunction. He's like, just looked at the doctor and said, I'd rather die of a heart attack yeah. than suffer from erectile dysfunction. <laughs> so we'd be married at that point like seven years. So we're pretty <laughs> newly married in, in the terms of where we are now. But he said, and then he came home and he said to me, listen, Whatever you do, we've got to find a way to sort this out. I've got to get healthy. I just don't know how to do it. And up until that time, I was health conscious. I was making our own whole wheat bread. We were making, I was making my own muesli. I was making my own yogurt. Kid you not. I mean, you boil that stuff. You've got to boil the milk, and then it, like, boils all over the stove, and then you've got to clean it up. It's, like, such a mess. So I was putting a lot of effort into feeding our family as sorry, healthy but, as I could. Sorry, bo- yeah. I mean, sorry, this is stop you there. Boiling milk. Uh, I was always taught yes, you to never... make yogurt. Oh, I was always taught you never yeah. do that. Well, you got to bring it to just under boiling, mm. and then the problem is it's, it boils over really quickly, and then it always made a huge right. mess all over the stove because there's nothing worse than milk burning on the stove. It was a big mission. Anyway, so I was, you know, we were doing all the right health things, and we were doing what we thought was right, and and I, I sat down and I somebody gave me a book. Um, Oh, there was a book written by a woman called Essie Honeyball called I Live on Fruit, which fascinated me because I always liked sweet things and I loved fruit. So I read this woman. She was a South African woman. And then I've got a book called Fruit for Thought written by Dr. Um, um, not Louis Mehring, uh, Professor, I'll think of his name now. He's a professor in physiology at Pretoria University called Fruit for Thought. He had studied this woman and he could not fault her medically, couldn't fault her. He said she was in perfect condition. All her tests were perfect. In fact, in the 1970s, they did a study. They wouldn't allow it in these days, but on prisoners, um, black prisoners, in obviously in the prisons, putting them on the same diet. And they found all the overweight ones lost weight and all the underweight ones gained weight. And everybody got felt they had more energy and the, the muscle strength was improved and a whole lot of things from eating on fruits, nuts, and avocados. That was it. So he headed up that study. And I went out to Pretoria to actually meet this guy. I met him and his wife, and he said as a result of doing the study, they started eating a lot more plant food, and his wife, who was paralyzed and in a wheelchair, that he couldn't help her, she got well, and and, and, and as he said, that in she came with a tea tray to offer us tea walking on both her legs, not in a wheelchair anymore. So he was a fascinating uh, Dr. Mayer, Dr. Herbert, uh, Bernard Mayer, uh, Professor Bernard Mayer. He was, as I said, head of physiology mm. at Pretoria University. So it was a journey I went down before there was an internet. I couldn't just Google stuff, okay? I mm. had to go to the archives at the Vitz Medical Library. And in those days, um, I, after I'd written the first book, I got a lot of interviews. It was I was writing stuff about not mixing proteins and starches and eating more plant-based. And it was very new. That was 1991, eventually, when the book came out. Sorry, but you were still, eating, had, you were still I, eating meat at this stage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We okay. were still eating still eating some meat yeah so so we were still eating some meat and chicken um and some fish and then we started not mixing proteins and starches because my husband had terrible indigestion he lived on antacid medication 
and I had terrible allergies and my kids had the ear infections, the tonsillitis and stuff. So mm. we did two things. We took the dairy products out of the diet to get rid of the kids' ear infections and tonsillitis because nothing else was working. I'd been to homeopaths, naturopaths. I'd been taking pills, powders, potions. My kids were on homeopathic stuff. Having started with the doctor, you move to the homeopath, then you go to the naturopath. She took one look at me and had a long chat to me. And she said, you know, Marianne, you'd be a really, really sick person, like really badly sick if you weren't so happily married. You have a sensitive constitution and you just have to live with it. Here's a box. And I remember I laughed at it because she gave me like the lid of the, that you get on a, a 24 pack of beers, that cardboard base mm. and, the, and the lid of it, that little tray that the beer cans yeah, come in. She gave carry. me that. Yep. Yeah, no, the, the flat. The flat thing at the bottom, not with a carry thing. Oh, right. It's, it's the huge. cardboard it's like box, yeah. The cardboard uh, tray. Thing, that, yeah. That, yeah. So, and she gave me that, and it was full of supplements, okay? I walked out of there with this box full of supplements, and I went home, and nothing changed. I took all these supplements, spent all this money. Nothing changed. The kids still had ear infections, tonsillitis, runny noses, and that's when we, we went to our homeopath, and he said, why don't you take dairy out of your diet? And I said, where are you going to get our calcium from? I'd been so brainwashed about this calcium thing. I didn't know that studies way back then even showed that people that consume the most dairy products have got the worst teeth and the mm. the most brittle bones as they get older and the most inflammatory conditions like sinusitis, tonsillitis, appendicitis, any other itis for that matter. So anyway, we t he, uh, he said to me, he's like, from cauliflower. I'm like, what? How am I going to get cauliflower into a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a six-year-old? How am I going to do this? So I then started, as I say, going into the Vitz Medical Archives and looking at what research I could. I went right back to Pavlov's dogs because I was there was a study where they they gave them had to do with the ringing of the bells, but it also had to do with proteins and starches. And then there was a research by Dr. William Beaumont on this guy Alexis and Martin. So I was doing all this research, but I mean, I literally it was mm. slogging. I was walking and driving and going to libraries and getting books and digging around and. Um, yeah, there was, as I say, there was no way to Google anything. I had to find books, and I was did a course. I studied nutrition through an institute in the States, which helped, but it wasn't science-based enough for me. I'd been pretty much science-based. I'd done you know, biology, science, anatomy, physiology, and chemistry. Mm. I wanted science, so I went after the science, and that's where I connected with the Dr. Neil Barnard in 1986 and the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and I sort of followed him and people like Dr. Colin Campbell and Dr. Caldwell Isselstein, and these are science-paced guys. These are not, they're not connected with any big industry whatsoever. Mm. And what I did find is that the dairy industry, for example, funded the dietetic industry in South Africa, and the meat industry funded the dietetic industry. So when you go and study dietetics, all you're doing is actually promoting products. I've Di had students come on. Yeah. Sorry, Marianne. Dietetic. Dietetics. What? What is the? I've never heard that word. What is that? Uh, to be a dietitian, to study to be a dietitian, which is a, or a nutritionist in South Africa, yeah. you go and study dietetics, which is the science of diet. Dietetics. At university. Dietetics, yeah. Okay. You can study that at Stellenbosch or Cape Town, I think Peter Marisburg as well. But And, and I actually went to Pretoria University to see if mm. I could study it. And the people that interviewed me, one was clearly anorexic and, and had very bad skin, and the other one was clearly obese. And I'm like, they're going to teach us about diet, and they're the head of this department, and they clearly can't sort out their own issues. Mm. And then I looked at what they were doing. They weren't studying how to be healthy. They were studying 
the actual nutrients in food. Like how many grams of fat do you need if, you've, if you're this age, if you're two years old and if you're 10 years old and if you're 20 years old and how many grams of protein do you need and how many grams. So they were doing what's called reductionism. They were reducing nutrition to just the nutrients in the food and not the combination because you can't, you can't separate the nutrients out. We can't live on supplements. We know that. And in fact, we know that people take the most supplements, vitamin and mineral supplements or the ones that have the most dread diseases. The countries with the most heart disease, diabetes and cancer are the countries that take the most supplements. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was a long, as I say, hard journey. It was finding out and experimenting on our family. And about 30 years ago, we got to a place where we haven't had a doctor's bill due to ill health. We don't have medical aid. We keep um, money in a savings account in case somebody has an accident or, you know, something happens. I, mean, it's, I don't have any problem having medical insurance for an accident. That's not an issue. I just don't want to support all the sick people that are using my hard-earned bucks that I'm paying into a medical insurance company. And they're going to the doctor every five minutes for every ache and pain. And they don't want to get well. I mean, here it's you know, the sad thing about this is the vast majority of people don't want to take responsibility for their health. They want to go and claim their money back from the medical insurance. So they'd rather go to the doctor and sit mm. at the doctor's waiting rooms. And I've been through that. You sit in an hour and a half in the doctor's waiting rooms. You've got a sick kid. The other one's snotty. You've got a headache. Doctor's like got this blonde chick in there for an hour and a half, and you get seven and a half minutes with him. Why blonde, did she spend chick. an hour and a half there? Yeah, the blonde, the gorgeous blonde chick. There was always a which, gorgeous uh, blonde which, chick that would come Which out. doctor is this? Which I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was always bizarre. It was always there was always somebody spending hours in there with him, and and we all got our seven and a half minutes. And I have I don't I'm not anti doctors. I really am not. If I'm in a car accident and mm. my body has to be stitched together again, I need a doctor. I don't need a carrot juice. Okay, but the reality is, a doctor study diseases and how to treat them with medicine and surgery. They don't study health and how to keep you healthy. Like in China, the doctors get paid to keep people healthy. They get fined if the people get sick. So China, they look for more alternative ways of keeping mm. people healthy. I'm not saying they're, the, they're an example of health. Um, but, you know, we, it's going down this journey has, has led me to a place where, as I said, I, I wrote the first book and then I, I cut my teeth on radio arguing with Professor Harry Seftel of the um, Fitz Medical School. I remember man, him. We used to have, yeah, ding-dong rem- battles. Yeah, I was wow. on television with him. Yeah, I did uh, primetime TV with Penny Smythe. We did a whole debate on dairy, the dairy products. Do we need them? Penny Smythe, sorry, phone sorry, 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 sorry. You, yeah. you can't just drop these names and, and just continue. <laughs> Penny Smythe, I remember. Sure, you, she, wasn't she on that sun, Sundowners program, I think? Many she may have been. She used to do the prime time slot, which was like at yes. eight o'clock on a Tuesday night. It was like prime television, wow. and and all interesting. And those were the days when television was actually interesting, and radio wasn't controlled by the media. I mean, yeah. we get this fake news stuff going on. Mm. It's sad because in those days, radio we could have these ding dong battles on radio, and mm. like like they no, used to phone now. me and say, "We've never had so many people." dialing in it's like everybody's so politically correct you can only mm. say what the advertisers are happy with i mean i was on had my own slot on cape talk 702 on a saturday morning for years and then somebody phoned in and said um like what about coconut oil the heart foundation says we shouldn't be eating coconut oil it's not bad for your good for your heart and i said you know 
what the Heart Foundation used to say, we mustn't eat avocados. Now they say they're fine. The end of the day, and then I explained why you could eat coconut oil. Well, the next day, the Heart Foundation was all over Cape Talk 702 telling them, like, cut the mm. show, cut the show, otherwise we're pulling our adverts. That's kind of, it's kind of ugly. That's what it's deteriorated to. Anyway, please carry on. Fake news about money. I interrupted yeah. you there with the names. Anyway, so yeah. I cut my teeth on it. Was, it was fascinating to be like on this cutting edge. People were telling us when the book came out in 91, you guys are 20 years ahead of your time. Nope, the world is not ready for what you're doing. And now it is. But we've been at this for 30 years. We haven't had a doctor's bill due to ill health. We've got five grandkids. They like, my kids are like bulletproof. Our kids can go out and party and do things that are not very healthy. They just don't get sick. And I said, this is like not fair. I raised you so healthy. And now you can just afford to be careless with your body. Whereas I was raised in a normal smoking, meat-eating family. And not unhealthy, but I had all these health issues. And I have to walk the straight and narrow. But part of the reason is I also don't have my tonsils. They were taken out when I was four years old. And the only reason they take tonsils out is because we're not supposed to have dairy products. And it causes inflammation to the tonsils in some people. Some people it causes sinusitis. Some people, you take the tonsils out and then you get sinusitis, but you don't solve the problem taking the tonsils out. You solve the problem taking the dairy products out. So, yeah, that's kind of where it's come down the line. And then we opened a restaurant because people nagged us for like, where are we going to eat out? And it just took off from there. Since then, I've written seven books in total. I've written more. They're not all published. Um, developed about eight different courses. We've got uh, natural health and nutrition, which is where you can study online to to help people get healthy mm. and then there's the practical side of it so you do all these practical assignments and you do business the business side of it as well um, and that's the NHBC that's um, consulting and business side and then we have a cooking course as well that you can do online we've got 30-day detox which is great for people that want to jump in feet first and just do a radical detox that's plant-based and we see amazing results from that amazing results I mean this one woman for four years I, I can just tell you lots of stories, but this mm. one really struck me because she had a rib cut out in trying to cure her disease, okay? So she had, for four years, she had the whole left side of her body was just swollen. Her, her left arm and her left breast and her left hip and her, everything was swollen and aching, okay? She went from doctor to specialist to physician to homeopath to uh, lymphatic drainage to, she did everything. I mean, she, I, worked, I calculated it at cost about half a million rand, the, the money that she spent on it, okay? Nothing could help her. Eventually, she couldn't walk at all. She was just in permanent pain. Nothing helped. Painkillers weren't even helping. Mm. Ten days into the 30-day detox, her whole side of her body had gone down completely. She was able to walk 900 meters for the first time in four years. She then, um, it was like three or four days later, she was doing 1.2 kilometers. And by the end of the 30 days, all the swelling had gone down and she was, she's walking three kilometers a day. And this is a woman who's like in her late 60s, early 70s. She wrote an email to me. She said to me, my doctor says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. This diet is sorting it out. And really, it's just a whole food plant-based diet. When we say it's a detox, it's like you're eating plant food. It's how I eat all the time. So, and we see these amazing results. I mean, Mark helped a farmer some years back. Um, he's a cattle farmer in Natal, a very wealthy cattle farmer, and mm. he was doing really well. And then he got prostate, serious prostate problems. And the doctor said, you've got to sort this out because you're like on the verge of cancer here, bud. And his daughter had heard about us and his wife had sort of half followed the program. And he got hold of, tried to get hold of me, got hold of my husband. My husband just put him in his place. He said, if you don't 
go plant-based. Like right now, you're going to be in big trouble. Literally within two months, it was absolutely always his um, markers for prostate issues were gone completely. Marianne, sorry, I just you know I want to yes. just ask you a question that I saw in the comments. Uh, someone yeah. suggested that vegan and plant-based don't mean the same thing. In that veganism is more of like a like a belief system or a philosophy, was plant-based is simply just a lifestyle choice or a diet. Do would you agree with that, or are they the same? Yes and no, <laughs> and I say that because veganism has changed. It's morphed into something very different over the years. When I started out and we started eating the way we do now, there were there were three basically three kinds of pe people. There were omnivores, people that ate anything. There were vegetarians who ate um, eggs and cheese and dairy, and, the, and in that group you got lacto vegetarians or you got lacto over vegetarians, mm. which means they ate eggs. Um, and we were. And then you got vegans who didn't eat animal products, but they may still have had honey, for example. Whereas now, vegans now are like radical. You can't even touch honey because the bees are dying. And what the radical extremist vegans don't understand is that bees die after 30 days of making honey anyway. So worker bees only live 30 days. You're not doing anything bad to them. And if they were in the wild, the badgers would come along and take the honey. And if you don't take honey out of the bees, the bees get the hive gets too full of honey. And the bees just move away, so you get the honey anyway. Mm. So it's now become almost unpleasant. Yes, it's a belief system, but it's a, like any form of radical fundamentalism. They become very like militant about it, and they actually put a lot of people off. And that's why I don't like the word vegan, although I use it because some people know and understand it. Whole food plant-based is a healthy choice. There isn't a belief system there necessarily. You're making a choice based mm. on health. So like I did, so I would call myself a whole food, plant-based person, whatever mm. acronym you want to give for that. So vegan has become the sort of militant, radical fundamentalism, sadly. But it used to just mean you didn't eat any animal products at all. That's what it used to mean in the beginning, in the early days, when, when I started out, as I say, 35-odd mm. years ago. So, yeah, it's, as I say, it has – and as I said, you can be a vegan and live on white pasta and – coffee and coca-cola that doesn't unhealthy. mean you, you could still very unhealthy i mean we had um paul mccartney the beetle um his wife linda mccartney was vegetarian and she died of breast cancer and if you follow a whole food plant-based diet chances of getting um, breast cancer is very low because you don't have dairy in the diet so she was vegetarian but a lot of dairy in the diet and the dairy we now know the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is now suing the government again. New new court case court um, documents in right now. I just got notification from it. They're suing the American government because for years they've given them the research showing that the number one cause of breast cancer and prostate cancer is dairy products in the diet. And the government's done nothing about it. So now they're on a campaign to actually sort it out because it's it's not right. I mean, we've we've been fed lies about how we should eat based on big business, not based on the actual science of the human body. And now the scientists mm -hmm. are looking at the human body and there's been a huge, huge um, shift. And the scientists are very much whole food, plant-based diet. They're not promoting veganism because it's not a religion, it's not a belief system. It's They see it as science. This is what the science is saying. I can tell you from a practical point of view how um, you know our lives have changed, how our health has improved. My husband's blood pressure was 160 over 110. It's now uh, uh, 100 over 75 on a bad day. We did the August, the very hot August where they ran out of water. I think it was about five years ago. 
before the half a one and before the cancelled one. <laughs> um, uh, the, was that the, the one Cape, with the fire? Cape, um, was the, had the fire? No, the, the fire one was the half one. It was before okay. that. It was the hottest one ever. And halfway through the, 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 the actual um, cycle tour, they'd run out of water at all the watering points. So we were all having mm -hmm. to go off and find our own water, which took a lot of time. Anyway, we, we finished it that year because even though we, it was so much time, we, got, we were focused and we, and we finished. But just before we got to the end, some guy knocked my, my husband off his bicycle. He came through the two of us and clipped his handlebars and he went sprawling in the road and his clothes were all ripped and there was blood and he was dizzy from the fall. And so the ambulance came up and said, we've got to check him out. We've got to check him out. They took his blood pressure and I wasn't allowed in, but I was looking through the window and they said, oh, your blood pressure is a bit low. They said it's 100 over 70. Mm. And I said, because they were saying on a hot day it should be up. And I went, I said, no, 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 he's vegetarian. I didn't say vegan because most people don't know what that is anyway. So I said, he's vegetarian. And they said, oh, no, no, that's okay. Vegetarians have lower blood pressure. You can go get back on your bike if you want to finish the race. We were one kilometer from the end. Which was fascinating for me because if you go to a doctor, he's going to put you on blood pressure medication. He's not going to say, have you had coffee or tea or a Coke or something with caffeine in this morning because that will push your blood pressure up. Or are you vegan or a vegetarian um, or are you a meat eater? He won't say to you if you're a meat eater, well, your blood pressure is high. You need to reduce the amount of animal products in your diet. But here the ambulance, the paramedics in the ambulance, the ambulance guys, they actually knew that vegetarians' blood pressure was lower. How come they know and the doctors don't know? That struck me as rather strange. But it's it's an interesting thing, that. And it's one of the reasons why my husband's blood pressure has come down. He stopped the caffeine and he stopped the animal products. And when your blood pressure comes down, you don't suffer from things like erectile dysfunction because you're not taking this medicine. And, you know, that side of our lives is, like, very extremely healthy. And my husband says he eats like this purely for a, from a sexual point of view. He says <laughs> sex is the best it's ever been, and you can interview him about that one day. I just hope my kids aren't listening or my grandkids. But <laughs> but it is. I mean, it is phenomenal quality like you've never experienced. But he said to me the other day, this is like taking drugs, man. So you know, maybe that's why people take drugs because they don't have decent sex lives. Look, Marianne, um, so – you have thankfully um, spoken about the difference between vegan and vegetarian because I was going to ask you about that. So you've you've covered that. Yeah. Um, but what does it mean to, in general, on day to day living? What does a plant based diet kind of mean? Is it just basically buying all the fruit and veggies at Woolies? No, <laughs> no, no. Preferably not. Look, Woolies is. Looks like they've got some good quality vegetables there, but honestly, unless you're extremely wealthy, I would it, I would go to the place that's got the freshest stuff. I mean, we've got a place in Somerset West that actually supplies people in the township, but they're a big wholesaler, and they get stuff in, and their trucks just delivering stuff, and it flies out so fast. So you can get a box of tomatoes there for eighty-five back bucks. If I go to a general greengrocer, I'm going to pay two forty, and if I had to go to Woolworths and pay the equivalent of it in in bags of I'd probably spend 500 rand on it, you know. So getting healthy firstly should cost you less, not more. So find a decent, reliable supplier where you get fresh stuff. I like fresh stuff, not stuff that's been in fridges, stuff that comes straight from the farm. So I found a greengrocer where you get boxes of apples that have come straight off the farm, and it's like the equivalent of six bags of apples that you'd get, and you're paying 35 bucks for it, which is what you pay for one bag in a supermarket. So uh, what does a normal day look like? On my, I can tell you how I eat, okay? Because what does a normal vegetarian diet look like? Uh, you know, people can get up in the morning and have wheat pigs with um, 
soya milk on it and and they can have um, whole wheat sandwiches um, with uh, fake cheese on it and they can have um, a vegan burger with fake cheese on it and a pizza with fake cheese all these things are available now that's not how I eat at all I don't want fake stuff if I'm if I want cheese I'd eat the cheese but I don't want the cheese so I don't touch it I don't I don't like the texture of fake cheeses and fake meat. Some people will eat the fake sausages and the fake steaks oh. and the fake chicken nuggets. Fry, that fries. to me does... In, yeah, in, that, in that green that box. Stuff, yeah, look, it's great for people making the transition and feel like they need the taste of meat. But we, we've taken like 35 odd years to get where we are and it wasn't a rush thing. We didn't just suddenly give up meat. So what I recommend that people do, if you're wanting to actually help the environment and you're wanting to be healthier... You follow sort of five basic steps, and I've, these five steps run throughout a lot of the courses that, are, that I offer, like the 100 Days to Health is teaching those five steps, and they're very simple. It's like start, start your day off with, um, well, firstly, start all your meals with at least a side plate full of fruit or vegetables. So before you have breakfast, lunch, or supper, you're going to have a side plate of fruit. Having salad for breakfast doesn't appeal to me, so I would have fruit before I had any, breakfast, whatever any that fruit. breakfast is. Any fruit. You just don't think about it at this point. You don't want to start getting into a whole bunch of rules and feeling like you're deprived, okay? okay. And the 100 Days to Health is probably the best program to go on because it teaches you that. Week one, you're doing raw before cooked and you can eat anything. I actually say to you, eat a couple of carrots or an avocado before you go and buy a burger. You know, just whatever raw, you eat a cucumber. It doesn't matter what it is. Eat some raw vegetables before you eat a cooked main course for lunch or supper, for example. So you'd have either a side plate of salads or you'd go and get a... Um, I like a punnet of those wonderful rosa tomatoes and you could go to Woolies or you could go to Checkers or Pick and Pay. They've all got they've all got them these days. Those little baby tomatoes, you could just snack on that before you ate your lunch. And for supper in the evenings you could have a salad, or if you don't salads don't appeal to you, you can have a glass of carrot juice. If that makes you feel totally grossed out, then um, you know, just eat eat some tomatoes, slice some avocados, just cut the avocado out, put some herb salt on it, eat it with a spoon, and then eat your normal supper. That's what you do in week one. So I'm all about health. Week two, I recommend you get out there and start moving your body for at least five minutes a day. And it's not about going to the gym for two hours. Move at the same time every day for the same amount of time and start with small amounts. Because the reason people say they don't exercise is because they don't have time and they don't have money. And you don't need time or money to go for a five-minute walk. And then you gradually increase that by like two and a half minutes to five minutes every week until you're doing a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes a day. So those are the kinds of, so, so the, the five steps getting back to that's raw before cooked. The next one is eat one entire fruit meal every single day. So one meal just has fruit in it. The best time is usually for breakfast and why you eat the fruit is one, it's got the most amazing water-soluble fiber that makes your bowels work beautifully. Two is it's loaded with antioxidants that help protect you from all the dread diseases, they slow down aging, they make your skin look amazing, they just help everything work properly. But on top of that, they're loaded with natural glucose. And a lot of people are like anti-fruit and you shouldn't be eating any carbohydrates, which is nonsense. Your brain and central nervous system have got to have carbohydrates. It's your best source of your B vitamins. And they, you cannot, your brain can't work out without, work properly without glucose and the B vitamins. And your best source of that is from fresh fruit. So I that's what helped me get over my bipolar. I just started eating copious quantities of fruit. I ate a box of nine mangoes one day and an entire watermelon another day. But it's not like that anymore. Once you start eating fruit regularly, you find one mango and it's like, whoa, that's enough. It's like really sweet. I used to eat a kilogram of dates. Now I have one or two dates because it's enough. 
once your cells are getting the right amount of glucose, you stop craving sweet things. So my craving for sweet stuff just went away. I never gave up sweets and candies and chocolate eclairs and cook sisters. I just lost interest in them. So it's better to focus on adding more of the good stuff to your existing diet and kind of gradually lose interest in the stuff. Because if you go along and say, okay, I'm going to become a vegetarian or a vegan because I like the idea about the environment and it sounds so noble and you do it for two weeks and you just feel deprived and frustrated and you don't know how to prepare food. The 100 Days to Health really helps you because you're getting a recipe. You're getting five or six recipes every single week with instructions for the week. And then every day you get a recipe, a healthy tip, and you get an inspirational quote from somebody famous or somebody anonymous for that matter. Um, and just, it helps and inspires you. And now we're doing it on Zoom. So once a week, people are meeting together to ask questions. I'll answer those questions. And then they also work in their own groups and they work with the um, facilitator. So they're in WhatsApp groups, all taking photographs of what they're doing and saying, oh, I've got a headache today. I must be detoxing. Or somebody will say, don't worry about the headache. You're probably detoxing from something that you stopped. Maybe you stopped coffee. So you've got a support system there. So it's a great program. And not everybody that does this is vegan or vegetarian, but they all start eating more fruit and vegetables. So even if you don't go vegan or vegetarian, as long as you're eating a 75 to 80% alkaline forming diet, you'll have more energy, a third more energy. You can eat a third more calories and not put on weight. Plus your bowels and everything else is going to work better. And you've got all these antioxidants that are protecting mm. your body against the dread diseases. And then you just take it one day at a time. Science does show us though, that if you're um, intake of animal products is more than 5 to 10% of your calorie value. You literally have pulled the trigger for cancer. Dr. Colin Cam uh, Campbell says you can fill the gun with um, stress and preservatives and additives and pollution and all these other things. But he says the thing that they found pulls the trigger for cancer is animal protein. If it goes up above a certain amount, the American Cancer Association says that amount is 600 grams in a week. Um, the studies that Dr. Colin Campbell did, um, they were 600 studies over a 30-year period, a large amount of studies, huge body of evidence. It must be more than 5 to 10% of your calorie value. So the way to work it out is not bigger than the size of the palm of your hand, not more than three times a week. So every second day you would have like chicken and then the next day you would have no animal product on that day. The next day you might have an egg and the next day you might have your piece of steak. So three times a week, basically, you would have some animal products. If you're exceeding that, there's a greater chance of you developing cancer, heart disease, or diabetes earlier than most people. And honestly, it's become rare for people to just simply die of old age in their sleep at 101. And yet communities around the world are doing that. I mean, there's the blue zones. Um, if you look at the blue zones, it's, that was a fascinating study. Just tell me if I'm talking too much. No, 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 I'm listening, study. I'm listening. I'll interrupt you if I... If uh, I <laughs> okay, good. Um, 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 the National Geographic said to this guy, Dan Butner, who's a, a journalist and re researcher, and they said to him, we want you to travel around the world and find the longest living, healthiest communities. And that's what he did for many years. And he came back with the, the map that he'd marked the areas on, and all he had was a blue cokey pen. And they ended up calling them the blue zones just because he used a cokey pen. So if you want to know why it's called the blue zones, it's because that's how they marked them on the maps. But it was um, Icarus in, in um, Greece, uh, Okinawa in Japan, uh, Sardinia, a certain area of Sardinia in Italy, um, an area in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, uh, Costa Rica, and then uh, Loma Linda in Southern California. And they found the most you got to watch the TED talk. It's about 20 minutes. you got to watch it. People must go and watch this guy, Dan Butner. 
20 minutes on um, where he literally go, gives you a quick view around the world and interviews these people. And there's like a 102-year-old guy in Sardinia who's riding his own scooter and he's chopping wood. And then he comes inside the house and Dan Buten is 42 at the time. And they have an arm wrestling match and the old guy just pushes his arm straight down. And then they take you to Loma Linda where this guy's like, 104 and he's still water skiing and Marge Vuitton, I remember her name because she drives this huge big Cadillac and she's off to like Meals on Wheels and all these charitable organizations that she's volunteering at and she happens to be 103 and then they go to this guy Bob and they're saying he's like 98 and he's busy putting up his own fence and as could be expected, he's found in surgery the next day. You think the guy's had a heart attack. And then the camera pulls back, and mm. there's Bob with the surgical mask on. He is a heart specialist, a heart surgeon, and he does 20 open-heart surgeries a month in his 90s, okay? So these are people whose brains, bladder, and bowels are working perfectly into their 90s, into their 100s. And they've done these studies on real-life people. I mean, they've tracked them from when they're kids right until they're in their 100s. So that's the best kind of studies to look at is real live people. That's real science, not just somebody's opinion or somebody's my, my grandfather lived to 102 and he drank a bottle of whiskey a day and smoked a pack of cigarettes. That's rare. It's not common. I like the bottle of but whiskey we, part. <laughs> well, you're not going to live that. You're not necessarily going to live that long. But here's the thing. Your grandfather probably ate more fresh fruits and vegetables because he grew up on a farm and probably did a lot of walking around on the farm. So it probably helped to protect him. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're looking at real life people and we're looking at the science and we're looking at where it's all going, it's not just some kind of trendy thing. This is become a trend because the science has become completely overwhelming. And because of social media, the scientists are able to post their research everywhere. I get newsletters from the top scientific journals and nutritional journals, and I'm able to see what's coming out like anytime. It was never like that. When the internet first got the stuff, and I used to have to pay $8 every time I wanted to read a scientific document. Now I can read them for free. So there's this huge information access to everybody, and people are not being conned anymore. The Dairy Council can't con us anymore about you need cow's milk to make your bones grow. Um, the, my youngest daughter is the one that was totally raised on a plant-based diet. She didn't know anything else. She's like 1.82 meters tall. She's super strong, super slim, got not an ounce of fat on her, but she's hectically strong. I know she was doing Muay Thai, and the Muay Thai instructor is an international guy, and he said to her he wanted to take her around the world. He wanted her to be a, a fighter, and she's totally not aggressive. She wouldn't do it. He said, you're the strongest woman I've ever come across, and she was raised on a totally vegetarian diet. And if people doubt this stuff, I mean, you can watch the movie The Game Changers. It's on Netflix. Mm. It's got like these top Olympic and top sports people, the strongest man in the world. He picks up this huge metal frame with seven people standing on it, seven men on it. And he walks down the road with this thing. And he's a total radical vegan. Um, and a lot of people, Lewis Hamilton, the racing driver, he's a total vegan, totally he actually sponsored the movie, helped to. He was one of the sponsors of the movie, The Game Changers. So there are these very famous people. Some, of, I think it's Serena or Venus Williams, also vegan, plant-based. So there's a lot of sports people that are following whole food, plant-based or vegan diets and are doing incredibly well on it. So the, the old adage of you're going to be weak and small doesn't work anymore. You're going to be weak and small if you eat a bad diet, whatever it is. Marianne, what, what about the, the obvious questions that you've probably had many times over the years things like proteins and saturated fats or, yes. or just fats different kinds of fats talk, yeah. talk to me a little bit about that 
So I'm going to cover a couple of things, and I'm going to throw B12 in there. Let's get that one out of the way. People always ask about the B12 as well. Vitamin B12 is a vitamin that's made in your digestive tract in healthy people. Unfortunately, what's been found across the board in meat eaters, vegetarians, and vegans, these are studies that have been done over the years. Big study came out from Australia probably out 20 years ago showing 40% of meat eaters, vegans, and vegetarians are B12 deficient. B12 is needed for your brain and central nervous system to work efficiently and stops you getting conditions. I mean, very often, like, people can be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease because they're shaking when they're older, and in fact, they're very just extremely B12 deficient. Mm. But it's common amongst elderly people, whether they're meat eaters or not, to be B12 deficient. It has a lot to do with the health of their digestive tract. So if your digestive tract's healthy and you're not drinking tap water with the chlorine in, which sterilizes your friendly bacteria, and you're not living on antibiotics, and you take a good probiotic on a regular basis, chances are you can have a very healthy gut. And if you're not, just take B12 anyway. You can drink it. I drink a juice called Peak Endurance. It's got B12 in it. You've got, um, you can take B12 in supplement form if you're concerned about it. But it's not a vegan or a vegetarian thing. As I said, 40% across the board, vegan, vegetarian, meat eaters, it doesn't matter, are B12 deficient. That's indicating it's not diet. We know it's the gut. You either got an absorption issue, you're not secreting enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach because your hormonal system, there's a long route we can go down. Your endocrine system's not working properly, so you've got to get that working properly. And that's a long story. We can have a whole talk just on the endocrine system. <clears throat> Getting to the protein issue, proteins are made up of amino acids, okay? Amino acids are like letters of the alphabet are to the the English language. <clears throat> so you have 26 letters of the alphabet and they make up over half a million different words. We've got 20 to 22 amino acids, depending on which textbook you read, that make up over a hundred, over a hundred thousand different types of protein that the human body needs. Okay. So here's the thing. Your body can't use protein in long strands. Okay. So if it comes in in long strands, your body's got to undo it. And if those long strands have gone through the cooking process, it's even more difficult to get the protein out of it, but well, not the protein, but take getting the amino acids out of it. So your body has to undo these long chains. They're worse when they're cooked. Get all those amino acids and then make mm. over 100,000 different types of protein. So, so often when people say to me, where do you get your protein from? My first reaction is, which one of over 100,000 different proteins are you actually talking about? So eating dead animals like chickens or fish or cows or pigs or horses. In France, they eat horses. Some people in China, they eat cats and dogs and snakes. doesn't matter where the dead animal comes from. doesn't make any sense because we're not snakes or pigs or cows or dogs or chickens. And I know some people call other people those names. We're human beings. So the argument for eating dead flesh really would make a lot of sense if we were natural cannibals because we should be eating Human flesh, if we've got to eat flesh to make human flesh. Surely we shouldn't be eating pig flesh or cow flesh or snake flesh or flesh or chicken flesh. We shouldn't be doing that. But haven't humans we been need doing amino that? acids? Haven't what, humans... eating other humans? No, 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 no. I mean, eating animals for thousands of years. Uh, they have to a certain degree, but we know that there are more people that are vegetarian or plant-based in the world, like the whole of India, most of China. Mm. These are These are people that have been for uh, not just century, centuries, since uh, like time immemorial, the Indian mm. community have been plant-based, the Chinese community have been plant-based, the Japanese people have been plant-based. The whole thing of eating animal products in our diet accelerated after the Second World War to get the economy going in America. So the agriculturists got together with the, with the economists. They, the economists said, you've got to get the agriculture, you've got to get the economy going. You've got to teach people how to eat 
all of the all of the farming groups. So in those mm. days, it was animal products, fruit and vegetables, and grains. So we were taught to eat all of those at every meal. And then the dairy industry wanted their own group, and they got it. So this way we eat has really only accelerated after this, the Second World War. The eating dairy and meat and and um, so the lobby groups and, the and lobby groups have had a massive influence. The lobby group. Absolutely. It's okay. all been money-based. Before that, people ate very little. They didn't have fridges. They didn't have freezers. Where were they going to keep the dead animals? So they would kill an animal in the village, and they would all pick on it out on it for several days, and then they wouldn't eat it again because it's very expensive to kill your animals because your animal has to reproduce mm. and make milk or make eggs or whatever it is that people were doing with, the, with them. So you don't want to kill your animals. You want to keep them and let them rather reproduce because you can sell them and make more money like that. So people used to eat meat, and certainly not every day, maybe once a week, but most often once a month. And then they'd pick out, as I say, and then they wouldn't eat it for the rest of the time. It would be plant-based. So, yeah, going back to where did I interrupt myself somewhere along no, the I line? Think, um, I think I interrupted going, you. Um, but yeah. uh, you, you were just talking about um, uh, humans eating. Uh, oh, yes, eating other humans. Okay. Yes. So if you're a cannibal and you eat other human beings, you get a disease called Kuru, K-U-R-U, like Kuruman, the town here in, the South, in South Africa. Um, KURU is a disease that is the equivalent of mad cow disease in humans. You get the spongy form brain where your brain starts to get holes in it. Okay, so it would make sense to eat human flesh, just like um, Jeffrey Dahmer did, or the guy in what was that movie? Uh, with, um, the, with the plane. Are you talking about the one with the plane with the plane crash? The one with the plane, but there was that other movie with um, uh, what's his name? Uh, what was his name? Wasn't it Hannibal or something? No, forget about it. Uh, yeah, There's Hannibal famous... It was Anthony Hopkins. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, Anthony Hopkins. That's it. That movie. Um, he S was eating. Silence human of beings. the Lambs. That's what you're looking Silence for. Silence of the Lambs. That's what it was. Okay, Silence of the Lambs. So, so, so then we would all be like that, and we were repulsed by it naturally. And and most people are repulsed by animals being killed. My grandson was a a meat eater like his, his father was mm. and his father since become vegan because his son became vegan he was out riding his bike with my husband and they heard that what they thought was a kid screaming raced across there to see who was killing the kid but it was a pig being killed and the pig was squealing and the blood was squirting all over the place and from that day my grandson became vegan that's it and he was like kind of, kind of a chubby kid he's lost all the weight and he's grown enormously tall he's nearly yeah he's also one, over 1.8 and he's 15 years old and he's super strong as well um, but he was put off by it. Most people are put off by it. And I'm saying if you like hunting and killing animals, then go and kill the animal and at least get animals that don't have hormones in them, that haven't been um, transported in a very cruel way and, and killed in a cruel way. You know, if you don't want to eat animal products, keep your chickens, go outside and chop the neck off and then pull but, the feathers out and eat the thing. Yeah, and I must just say, I think, I mean, my, my wife's a vet um, and, oh. and, and she's been to a... A lot of abattoirs and the one thing that that really affects her is the way uh chickens are, are handled um yeah it's terrible they, they are handled very badly in in um in batteries yeah yeah so actually going down this protein line we need amino acids okay and you get all the amino acids you eat in every single plant. There's not one plant that doesn't contain amino acids instead of being in a long chain like a like a necklace like a pearl necklace. It's like a long chain of amino acids in animal protein. Now we cook it. Now everybody's got to undo it, okay? 
It's part of the reason so many people have kidney diseases from eating cooked protein, having to undo that. And the byproducts of undoing it is very, mm. very expensive on the body, okay? So if you're eating amino acids in fruit and vegetables, they're already broken up. They don't need to be broken up, okay? They're broken into amino acids. They're easy for you to absorb and use. Let's take almonds, for example. Almonds contain 20 to 25% protein, which is more than chicken and fish. Chicken and fish are 15 to 20%. Rump steak is 25 to 30%. Hold on, what do you protein, mean? Because an, okay? almond is, an almond is this big. So you have Okay, to eat. but if you ate. If you ate 100 grams of almonds, you'd get 30 grams, 25 to 30 grams. Let's say 25 grams of protein. So a if you ate 100 grams of meat, you'd be getting a handful of almonds. If you ate 100 grams of meat, you'd be getting 25 grams of protein from that as well. So it equal weight, you're both getting 25 to 30 grams, okay? But now you, you can eat the almonds raw, which means you're going to get eight, you're going to get 80 to 100 percent usage of all those amino acids in there, okay? And it's all complete amino acids that make up complete protein. So now you eat 100 grams of chicken, fish, or meat. You're going to cook it, unless it's sushi, when you don't cook it, but then you get intestinal parasites, which is a whole other problem. So now you're going to cook your protein. Now it coagulates, okay? So what does it mean when it coagulates? It goes from being water-soluble. Think of an egg white. Egg white, uncooked, you can mix it with water and you can um, beat it up and make a nice frothy omelet or a souffle with it, okay? But the egg white, when you've cooked it, becomes solid. It doesn't dissolve in water anymore. So it goes from being water-soluble to being insoluble in water. When it's not soluble in water, it's very difficult to digest. So a raw egg white is easier to digest than a cooked egg white. Same with any animal product. If you eat it raw, it's easier to use the protein, but there's other problems that come with that. Eating raw meat's not ideal because of the parasite thing, and, and, and there are a couple of other issues as well. So we call our animal, there's bacterial infections and all kinds of things. You can end up with salmonella and all kinds of diseases. So we cook it, but now the protein's coagulated. So if you're lucky, you can use 10 to 20% of the protein that's available in the animal protein you eat. And that's the reason why when people get their main source of protein from animal products, they actually have to eat more. So they're eating eggs and bacon for breakfast, they're eating chicken pieces for lunch, and they're eating some steak for supper. They want to eat it three times a day because they're getting so little. So let's go back to the 100 grams, okay? You've got 100 grams of almonds on one side, you've got 100 grams of meat on the other side. You eat the almonds, you're getting your 25 grams of protein. Well, let's make it 30 because it's easier to calculate um, percent. No, well, it's not really. You're getting 25 grams of protein. And you're going to eat the cooked meat, you're going to get 10% of that, 10 to 20%. So you're going to get two and a half to five grams of protein from your cooked meat and 25 grams from your almonds, same quantity. Go to pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds are 30% protein, like rump steak, okay? So if you're going 30% protein, you're eating 100 grams of pumpkin seeds, and pumpkin seeds you get for free. People throw the pumpkin seeds away. You just dry them out in your oven and take the outside shell off, and you're having 100 grams. You're getting 30 grams of protein. You take your rump steak and you cook it. You're lucky if you're getting three, maximum six grams of protein. That's why you've got to keep eating more. You can never get enough I know. I've been on the Atkins diet where I was eating man steak and cheese and peanut butter and bacon and it, there was no vegetables in it other than spinach and poached eggs on things and fried this and fried the next thing. The more I ate, the more I wanted to. It was like addicted to it and I couldn't get enough because you're not getting enough protein. So you're going to take a handful like this, a closed handful of raw nuts and seeds. My husband and I exercise for between one and two hours a day 
Reggie Brisk um, exercise. My husband competes nationally in my motorcycle sports mm. foot-up trials, which is hauling a very heavy motorbike around, like 80 kilograms motorbike over rocks and through rivers and, you know, around bends. And it's it's a strenuous program. And, and he rides with his grandsons who are 15 and, and 18. And he competes with them. And, and, and he's got all the strength he needs. He's got good muscle tone in his arms. He does incredibly well at it. So he's getting all the money. We've been doing this for 30 years. If we weren't getting enough protein, there's no ways we'd be able to do this. I can outlift. I'm stronger than women half my age. Seriously. And I didn't have muscle tone. I used to go to gym and try and get calf muscles when I was younger, and nothing changed. Changed my diet, and all I do is walk. I don't go to gym anymore. I sometimes ride a bike, sometimes swim, but mainly I walk. And I've got muscle tone like I've never had before. So you're, you're – the science is there. I can give you anecdotal stories, but the science based on amino acids, you get amino acids in all your fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. They're very high in nuts and seeds. They're also in legumes like beans as well, but there they are cooked, so they're a little bit more difficult to digest, but still easier than eating steak because they're not in those long chains. They don't have to be unraveled. They're really the amino acids are already taken. It's like, it's like when you're eating cooked meat, it's like getting words in Russian. So let's say you can't understand it, and now you've got to translate it. Now you've got to go and pay somebody to translate it because it's going to cost you a lot of money so that you can figure out what it's saying. Whereas mm. when you are plant-based, you're getting your letters of the alphabet, and you're able to just make them directly into English words so you don't have to go through a translator. That's one way of doing it, okay? So it's easy to get protein. You've got to have a handful of nuts and seeds or a cup of beans on a regular daily basis. What that's it. And that's in a physically active person. If, you, if you're doing like triathlons and Ironman, you can have that. You can double that amount. You really don't mean – you take a person like Rich Roll. He's got an amazing podcast as well. You follow somebody like Rich Roll, normal meat eater up to 39. Mm -hmm. This guy's <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com. Events on, on five islands in seven days, okay? Total plant-based diet. And the guy is like super fit and super toned. There's, there's what about, too many people out what there. What about fats? Does that come? What about fats? No, fats. Of course you need fats in your diet. Fats you need for your brain to work properly. You need omega-3s in your diet to transport fats, uh, cholesterol out of the bloodstream to the cells where we need it to make hormones, to help your brain and central nervous system work properly. You need fats for every single part of your body. You need it to make hormones. Testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, all is made from natural fats. Sorry. Your natural fats are – yeah. Sorry, let me just rephrase. What I meant was <laughs> – I, I agree with you. What I, what I meant was where do you find – the fats because plants okay, I'm going to tell you okay I'm going to tell you right now so those fats you're going to find in all your nuts and seeds every nut and seed contains them different varying degrees cashew nuts contain the least fats macadamia nuts are one of the highest but you're going to get mainly omega-6s from your nuts and seeds you do get a little bit of omega-3s but not quite enough unless you go for flax seeds or hemp seeds so we take flaxseed oil on a daily basis I take a blend of it um and so you're getting a perfect balance of omega-3 to 6 because you've got to have omega-3s for your brain, central nervous system, and your hormonal system to work properly. And now a lot of people will go and take fish oil, but you're actually not getting omega-3. You're getting the grandchild of omega-3 and the great-great-grandchild. And if I have to explain that, you get omega-3 only comes from plants. You don't find it in animals at all. But you get derivatives from animals. You get EPA and DHA. I'm going to put my hand up here. EPA is number three. So if you had the omega-3 over here, 
let's say clupidonic acid, stereonic acid, and then you're getting um, EPA is uh, icosapentaenoic acid, and then you get uh, icosahexaenoic acid, and then you get DHA, dicosahexaenoic acid. All you're getting from fish oil are those two over here, okay? You're not getting the other five, because to make all five of them in the right sequence, you need omega-3s from a plant source, not from an animal. So what happens with people taking fish oil, they're getting they overdose with EPA and DHA, it thins the blood, and they start getting these blood blisters all over their bodies. I remember going and doing a talk in Southern California. This woman came up to me afterwards and actually lifted up her top. She was pregnant. She said, why have I got all these blisters all over my stomach? My first question was, are you taking fish oil? And she said, yes, I am, because it's healthy. And I said, no, it's thinning your blood. When you get omega-3s from plants, your body converts the omega-3s into enough EPA and DHA and the other derivatives, just what you need for that day. Not too much, which is what happens when you take fish oil. You're just overdosing on it. So your blood thins too much. And that's dangerous because if you're in a car accident, you could bleed to death before the ambulance comes. I'm not talking about ambulance coming in South Africa, like in a country where the ambulance comes quickly. But you literally could bleed mm -hmm. to death in a hurry if your blood is too thin. So it's not a smart thing to be taking fish oil. You also, to get the oil out of the fish, you have to process the fish using very um, benzene-based solvents. You have to heat it to high temperatures. They don't take it out of the flesh of the fish. It comes out of the skin and the eyes and the inter internal organs. They just mash all of that. They use chemical solvents and high temperatures for heat, and then they extract the mm. fish oil out of it, and then they put it in a tablet. But fish oil goes rancid within two hours of the fish dying. So when you're taking flax oil, for example, you're able to stabilize it with sesame oil and a bit of olive oil, stabilize it, and you put it in a nitrogen-flushed capsule. It can last two years without going rancid. And then you're getting the right source of omega-3. So fats we've dealt with, proteins we've dealt with, what else? B12. There isn't a nutrient that you're not getting. In fact, you get more antioxidants. You get more fiber on a plant-based diet. So your mm. stomach works fantastically, really does. I mean, you don't have digestive problems on a whole food plant-based diet unless you're not getting enough fats in your diet or you've got gluten in your diet. And then you take the gluten out. But that's another whole story as well. You are, yeah. you are up against... Uh, a very tough crowd, though, knowing that South Africans love to braai. Oh, yeah. Mm. And yes, you can braai. You can keep braaiing. We have a boma down the bottom of our garden. And we have a fire pit and we make a big fire. I think the, the ritual of the fire is actually what we love more than anything else. Because if you think of when we braai, I mean, I've been to so many braais as a kid. There's the fire, and there's the beers, and there's the meat, and nothing much else in between. And really, it's a whole process of, I don't actually think it's so much about the meat. I think it's about the beers, frankly, and the chaselsait, you know, the talking about, the talking with your buddies and hanging out together, the kaya, you're the visit. Mm. It's more about that. Because you, when do, we make a fire… Do you drink alcohol we, at all? Sorry, Marianne. Me, I don't because I was diagnosed as being bipolar many years ago and alcohol and refined sugar make me crazy. So I haven't had a bipolar incident for 30 years, but if I wanted one, I would just have a glass of wine and about three days later, I'd trash the house and want to kill myself and the people around me. So sure. I don't go there. And I had parents with alcoholics. My husband doesn't. Mm -hmm. But my, our kids drink. They drink a glass of wine and they'll drink. Real and um, a lot of our friends do. But at the end of the day, it's not an industry that I love because there is so much havoc in our country. We have got a huge problem with alcoholism. It's a big problem. Um, and and I've met people who've lost children who were killed by people who were over the alcohol limit. I think if people drank in moderation and never went over the limit, although the limit now is no alcohol at all, or 
got an Uber and didn't drive their cars. I think if they drank responsibly, it would be a different thing. But that's me lecturing you. I don't drink because it makes me crazy. So I, d I don't touch the stuff. But um, and yeah. Uh, what um, about sugar? You get a lot of sugar in fruit. Sugar is generally not a good thing. Not so? You know, refined sugar is not a good thing. Sugar in fruit is essential sugar. Your brain can't work without glucose. You have to have glucose to stabilize your blood sugar. Your blood sugar is supposed to be nice and stable. The picture is a bit delayed. So I'm not sure if it's had coming out like that, your side. So it's got to be nice and stable. If you put refined sugar in, your blood sugar shoots right up here, and then you overproduce insulin, and then it drops down. Okay, When that happens, you can have a condition called reactive hyperglycemia where your body actually just goes into a state where the part of the brain that controls moral behavior, planning, and forethought just shuts down completely, and the primitive area takes over. And that's when you get these episodes, these bipolar episodes, mm. where you get very violent. Because what takes over is appetite, aggression, and sexual function. With me, it would be aggression. I would just trash the place and then get terribly depressed two days later. Anyway, sure. so... So some people react like that with alcohol and refined sugar. They can both do the same thing to the brain. Refined sugar we shouldn't touch. High fructose corn syrup we shouldn't touch. High fructose corn syrups, what's in things like Coca-Cola, fizzy cold drinks, soft drinks, and stuff like that. That's going to affect your brain, your central nervous system, and your entire endocrine and immune system. But the sugar that's in fruit is stable on your blood sugar. It comes in with fiber. It comes in with all the B vitamins mm. that are needed to process the glucose. When we take in glucose with no B vitamins, that's when you've got a problem because your body has to have B vitamins to process the glucose. And if it doesn't have it, it starts to rob itself. And that's when the mm. brain has these chemical imbalances and starts to, to not work properly. But, but fruit is something that is natural to anybody. You look at people living in rural communities around the world. You look at the longest living, healthiest people. They all eat fruit on a regular basis. They're not focused on one food. They might occasionally have a bit of fish. They might occasionally have a bit of cheese. But there isn't mm. this obsession with eating it every day. Some of them don't touch it at all. But it's very rare. It's like it's like the Mediterranean diet. It's a condiment to the diet. It's not the focus of it. In South Africa, it's the focus. So getting back to the braai, you can have a wonderful braai. Mm. Potatoes in foil, butternut in foil, mushrooms grilled on the open flame. You can make um, oh, all kinds of delicious things, baby. Marrows in foil. You can do onion and tomato in foil. You can do poiki with vegetables in it. We do wonderful poikis on the fire with lots of delicious vegetables in it. And you can make delicious poikis with beans in them, like back black uh, black beans and red peppers and chili and oh, most delicious, the most wonderful meals we have is around the fry, fire may having a braai. Don't eat meat for a braai. Mary Ann, we've, we've actually gone over time um, and there have been a lot of comments and questions. I've not been able to get to them. So maybe um, you'll be willing to, to join me for round two in the next uh, few weeks and we can, we can, yep. we can deal with all those questions and, and comments um, it sounds as if you can just go on and on and on for hours. I could. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but we sort of have run out of time now. Um, but yeah, I, think no, you, you, I think you have covered a lot of ground. Um, I, I'm mm. not uh, clued up enough on the science to be able to challenge um, particular claims. So I'm, I'm going to take it on good faith that, that, uh, that everything you've said is, is, uh, is backed up. I, I've been trying to have a debate in public with Tim Noakes because I know him well, quite well. And, He's um, a good friend of mine. And, and we used to, we were having a debate on this in, in, um, in an email and he got upset because I shared the contents of the email because he admitted he hadn't, didn't have any nutritional background. 
Uh, and I think the public should know that. I mean, he's now told people that himself, so he's a bit upset with me. But I, I'll happily do a debate with him if you organise that. If you wanted to, if you wanted to have somebody, I'll chat but to I, him. I'm he's not scared. I'm not scared. I'm not scared to debate with um, Harry Seftel is retired and not in a great place these days. If he's still around, I'm not sure. But um, I've done open debates um, at um, in um, what's that area? Um, just outside Cape Town. Oh, the debate you, that we did in the shopping centre there. You talking um, about just outside Cape Town? Centre. I'm just trying to think. Hmm? Where, like Wellington, yeah. Worcester, where, wherever. No, 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 no. In in Cape Town proper. In Cape Town proper, it's uh, Gardens, Gardens area. Oh, oh. Um, yeah. Gardens, Gardens Shopping Centre. They had we had a big public debate there, and we had um, the guy from Solgo was there to debate as to why we need to eat. Um, animal protein in the diet and was also talking about fats and stuff and then it was myself and a couple of other nutritionists debating but I have no problems debating with people I'll gladly ask questions if they want to ask me directly um, I, people have asked me the weirdest questions they, they've said to me the Bible says you have to eat meat otherwise you can't cast out demons I'm like okay tell me in the Bible where it says that because what I know that the Bible says is that Adam and Eve were eating, eating plant based foods um, I've had well, weird questions. Honestly, of, I've had people telling me you can't you can't reproduce if you don't eat animal products. I'm like, seriously, there's more vegans and vegetarians in the world, and they actually have problems controlling their population growth. You look at areas like Asia and India. There's more vegans and vegetarians than there are meat eaters in the world, and they have big problems with population. Too much. You yes, mentioned sorry, the Bible there, so I'll I'll close off with a really terrible joke. Uh, yes. So you know that um, Moses was the first alcoholic yeah. in the Bible because he was found motherless in the bulrushes. <laughs> okay, I'll borrow that one. <laughs> I love, I love, I love uh, dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Marianne, thank you so much for your time. Right, um, I've, um, I've linked to your website under, under the video. So if everybody, uh, well, if anybody yeah. wants to find out more, they're welcome to go there. They can email you, um, chat to you and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you have a, a wonderful day further. Um, All right, you too. Um, but we'll stay in touch. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.